Welcome to the discussion exploring cybersecurity's weakest link, identity management, sponsored by Duo Security. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. Today, my guests are Bo Hauser, the Chief Information Security Officer at the Small Business Administration, Howard White, the Chief Information Officer at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, Amir Destori, the Identity Services Branch Manager at the Homeland Security Department, and Sean Frazier, the Advisory Chief Information Security Officer for Federal at Duo Security. Gentlemen, welcome to the discussion. Before we get started, let me set some context. Federal cybersecurity is in the middle of a convergence. It's not about defense in depth. It's not about perimeter security. And it's not about identity and access management. In fact, federal cybersecurity is converging around all of these concept, concepts and much more. The latest FISMA report to Congress shows why this convergence is happening. Agencies face more than 31,000 cyber attacks in 2018, with, with a strong majority coming from email and phishing. And for the first time, agencies also face impersonation or spoofing attacks, once again proving the ever-changing nature of how bad actors are trying to steal data and inflict pain on the federal government. At the same time, cybersecurity is converging around IT modernization with cloud smart data center consolidation, and other directives from OMB that are pushing agencies to move away from legacy systems and onto modern and secure platforms. So as agencies move toward this hybrid cloud environment, managing, verifying, authenticating your employee's identity becomes even more critical. That's why concepts like zero trust are gaining steam in government. Earlier this year, the CIO Council and OMB said it's working with the National Institute of Standards and Technology to assess current state of technology that fits under the zero trust framework. OMB also is exploring other areas that may f- feed into policy updates to address zero trust concepts. And of course, a lot of agencies are looking into zero trust. DHS is doing something called trust zones, ensuring that there's a clear boundary around uh, the, the system and how the architecture and the business owners who control the network and the system. So with all that going on, how do we make the right balance? Security, improve security, get to IT modernization, and of course, deal with the concept of zero trust. So with that context in place, let's uh, turn to our panelists. Once again, my panelists are Bo Hauser, the Chief Information Security Officer at the Small Business Administration, Howard White, the Chief Information Officer at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, Amir Destori, the Identity Services Branch Manager at the Homeland Security Department, and Sean Frazier, the Advisory CISO for Federal at Duo Security. Amir, let's start with you. You have identity in your name. Identity management is a big issue. We we're seeing kind of a resurgence of it over the last, you know, six or eight months. Talk a little bit about DHS's identity management strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, So our uh, identity access management strategy at DHS uh, all starts with strong governance. Uh, We have a couple executive steering committees, uh, CIO, CSO, chair one of our executive steering committees, and all of our management CXOs chair another, which really puts identity access management into kind of the business frame. Like what what can identity access management do to enable our users while, while increasing our cybersecurity? Uh, from there, a big focus of what we're doing right now is on, on data-driven decisions. We're looking at all of our information repositories that have identity data, taking that and improving the data quality. Where does the data live? How can we use it? Is it usable? How do we improve its quality? So we can really make decisions off of that identity data. Uh, from there, we've taken that data and also focused on kind of the governance of our identity as a whole. How do we improve our onboarding and offboarding processes to really know who's here, where are they, what are they doing, and when do they leave? And to me, that really sets both the foundation as well as the tone for the rest of identity. So if we want to authenticate someone, if we want to authorize someone, well, we have a good grasp about who they are when they came here and the data about them, which then enables us to go into those authentication and authorization scenarios. Uh, and we're moving it from an authentication perspective from just passwords to strong authentication to now more risk-based and context-aware Uh, It's not enough that they have a PIV card or they came from a given location, but what are they doing? What type of data are they trying to access? So we can kind of build our identity strategy around that. All right, there's a ton there to unpack. Um, Let let me just go with the one piece is getting off of passwords, more of a risk-based decision. Can you kind of give us a little bit more about what that maybe will look like or does look like? Sure. Uh, So right now, again, uh, we've focused a lot on uh, first PIV for the network, and then it was a remote access, and then now application landscape. So what we've done is really try to understand uh, and make it simple for users by enabling things like single sign-on. But from there, we need to make sure we know what the user authenticated with. Did they authenticate with a PIV today? Did they authenticate with an alternate credential? What system are they actually accessing and what data are they trying to access? And all those play a part into making those decisions of should I let them in or not? Howard, let's start with uh, FDIC. You guys uh, obviously aren't as big as Homeland Security, but you 
protect some of the most important data around financial management, financial systems. Talk a little bit about your identity management strategy. So our strategy is always evolving. It's based on a focus on the mission of what do we want to accomplish, what are our users need um, in their day-to-day operations, and always changing our strategy based on the needs of the organization. We do use the PIV card, but we also look at alternate capabilities to meet the users in the field. Uh, We're looking at things like um, certificate management to gain access to the network or segmenting the data as folks speak about. We consider ourselves to be very risk-based in everything that we do. So we look at who's accessing the data, just as Mira said, but how are they being authorized to access that data? Are they transferring that data across systems that's not authorized and being able to make a decision and identify the security folks or their managers to let them be aware of things that are happening across the network? One of the things about making those risk-based decisions, and we're seeing a little bit of a trend here, is uh, knowing the roles and responsibilities. Is that something, again, going back to maybe something Amir said, is the governance piece, is that where you're spending a lot of your time, or have you spent a lot of your time to say Howard White is allowed to see this type of data, or Howard White is allowed to you know, change this type of data? So we do have roles that are defined by the business. Those are modeled in our systems and those are associated with the, the, the data that they're authorized to use. But we also track the systems from which they can access those data points and can turn on or turn off those capabilities based on risk across the enterprise. I think that's really the key. I mean, that's, it's, it's identity, but it's also the key to cybersecurity is, right. you know, Howard White usually logs in from Washington, D.C., Monday through Friday. Well, probably Saturday and Sunday, too, to a certain extent. But all of a sudden, you're logging in from China. That's probably a flag. <laughs> Correct. So one of the things that I want to do is also push that down to the user to let them know where they logged in from, what device did we last see them log in from, so that they become part of the solution set to protect the environment, that it's not just dependent on someone in the security operations center or someone on the operations floor trying to model the user's behavior. But we model it, show it to them, and they help us make a decision around, was that me or was that someone else impersonating me on the network? Or even if they're, hey, I'm going to be traveling, by the way, I'll be logging in from unusual places. I think that's another key piece. That's why they have to be part of it, the user. Correct. Sean, let's talk about uh, duo security. When you guys talk to your customers and identity management comes up, what are some of the trends? What are some of the things you hear? So I think, um, you know, much like Howard was saying, we, we, we see customers moving to a more risk-based approach, moving away from kind of monolithic security technology. Uh, we see people kind of adopting zero trust, and zero trust has been around for a long time, and it's only really caught on just because of the, the things that are being forced upon us now, which are mobility, cloud, and now soon to be 5G. So if you think about you know, data centers and applications that don't necessarily own, and users and endpoints that don't necessarily control or manage, and then you've also got networks that don't necessarily own, really the inevitable security model for that is something where you really can, can only work with what you can control, which is your user access to that data. And it is very a very risk-based approach function where you're not just going to trust somebody by virtue of the fact that they've gotten on the network. So we used to talk about this thing called comply to connect. Comply to connect is dead. We're now doing comply to access or comply to auth. And what that is really saying is that's saying that I don't necessarily trust you just because of what network you're on. Because, you know, for my life, I live in Starbucks and on Southwest Flights. And for me, that's where I do a lot of my compute. A lot of people are more traveling. So if you look at at kind of the culture shift that's happening as well. Younger workers coming in, u- users expecting to use iPhones and touch technology and being able to do fluid work wherever they are, that's forcing this conversation. It's funny you mentioned Comply to Connect is dead. Uh, we just actually are working on something around a story that has, uh, I think it's the Marines, but maybe someone else in DoD has just transferred a big chunk of money for Comply to Connect. Hopefully they're just using <laughs> the old terminology. Yeah. and it's, The old it's terminology the, for the new technology. Exactly, yeah. Comply to Access. Um, one of the things that, that when you talk about the, the, the accessing of the identity plays the key role, is that the difference between maybe the discussion that you had with your customers six months, six years ago, five years ago, where it was like, well, how do we protect the application? How do we protect the, the system? Now you're saying, now they're saying, how do we protect the data through identity? Yeah, absolutely, and kind of tying that identity to the access, and Howard and Amir talked brilliantly about what their organizations are doing for this, you know, making sure that the, the person who's accessing that stuff has the valid right to do that, and making sure you're authenticating and authorizing that user continuously, so you're not just doing one and done, you're making sure every time that user comes in and requests access to that information, you're validating some core things, you're validating they, they are who they say they are, and you're doing that with 
with you know, multi-factor authentication, whether that be a smart card or a, or a PIVD or whether that be a you know, duo technology or something like us. And you're also making sure that all the constructs around that are valid. So things like you talked about user behavior. So if I log into something and I'm not in my normal zone that I'm usually in, you know, 99% of the time, <clears throat> does that change behavior? Does that, does that change the, the calculus for do I allow that access or not? Uh, Bo, let's bring you into the conversation around SBA. Again, uh, much different than the, the other uh, folks, your other colleagues from government, because you guys deal with so many, if you will, uh, your, your, your citizen services, and you need to deal with identity access management for those citizen services, but then you also hold some very sensitive data around loans, around contracting. How, how are you finding that balance? So uh, we started a, an aggressive modernization initiative uh, a few years back, and we've been on this path pretty heavily uh, really leaning into the cloud as much as possible, and it and it caused us to to relook at identity and access management in that context. And so we, we identified a lot of areas across the environment where we're, we're placing extra burdens on our customers. You know, if if they go through this door, they need this authentication. If they go through a different door, they need a different one. So we're on a path now to try to consolidate those. Uh, identities into one using services like login.gov to do that to make it easier on our customers, strengthen the the uh, authentication and simplifying it for them. Um, internally, we've done a lot around uh, improving uh, the same thing. We leverage the PIV card as far as we can internally because that identity is built into it, um, and we we've actually segmented. Uh, the use of the PIV based on the role. And so if you are a privileged user, we have various tiers of privilege that you fall into. So if you're primarily focused on endpoints, you have admin access on the endpoint, and then we limit that. And then same thing with the server role. If you're a server admin, we have an island model for that. And then there's only a few folks who have the, that keys to the kingdom uh, model there. So we've done a lot to modernize. And the other element of that is cloud. You know, when you're accessing the cloud, it, it's super, super flexible. You, you get to the cloud edge from anywhere. And uh, with Zero Trust and these other uh, um, capabilities, we have much more control at the cloud edge to, to do some of the, the checks um, to, f beyond just username and password or just strong auth. We can do things based on where you're coming from and which device you're on to, to sort of start getting into that zero trust uh, way of thinking. So, uh, and then, you know, to your point earlier about uh, a foreign login where that's an anomaly, uh, the, the AI in the cloud makes that simple and we're using those kind of tools as well. One of the things you brought up is, is you brought us kind of full circle about the topic, right? Identity plus IT modernization. The question I guess comes to mind is, are we talking about the chicken or the egg, right? Do you, do you deal with identity and then you modernize? And I know the answer is at the same time. You, you can't do one instead of the other, mm -hmm. but, but maybe just open up to the panel, but maybe both start. How did you think about identity management as you were modernizing because there's some, definitely some, some challenges that come with, okay, how do we restrict as we bring in these new technologies? So um, the, the, the uh, HSPD-12, some viewed that as a very rigid uh, direction, and so it limited the, um, some of our uh, ability to, to embrace these new technologies. And so I was, I was grateful that OMB released a new policy lately that kind of created some space there for us to experiment. <laughs> and I think that's key. Uh, as we go forward, we have to take advantage of these different technologies to, to get where we want to get to. So, you know, get out of those limitations that, that had uh, been perceived. Yeah, I think that's an important point. I think that, that you know, we, we've had policy guidance that was kind of locked into technology, and that's, that's a problem because what that's done with technology ad adoption has only accelerated at the rate of change. So the re recent guidance, so it started with kind of 63.3 from NIST around identity, and then the OMB 1917 guidance around identity has really opened up and allowed for flexibility based upon risk. So not saying get rid of the PIV, not saying get rid of the CAC, there are plenty of those around. We spend a lot of resources managing those, but if you can't use those, you can't just use a password. You have to do something better than that. So here are some options for that, some risk-based uh, options that kind of allow agencies to, to head down that path. Howard? So. I agree that you can't do them without the other, and it's, it's key that you look at the new policies, but also get back to 839, which is risk-based, and it, it leaves you up to your risk manager and the folks that are responsible for the agency to say, how do I need to accomplish my mission? 
and utilizing the capabilities that are available to us to execute on the mission. And that's always the key. And always being able to continuously monitor what is going on in the environment and when something is abnormal, getting it in front of the right folks so that the information can be used, not for knowledge, but for action, so that you can take immediate action to protect the environment. So, so both uh, FDIC and SBA are kind of maybe a little bit out in front when we're talking about CDM, and I know that could take us down a whole different path, but is those capabilities from CDM where you're able to have a dashboard and know what's on your network, did that lead you down to this, okay, now we can kind of do what, what Howard was saying, was make those risk decisions because we're getting that data in? I mean, you, the building blocks have been coming, I guess, is, is, is maybe the better word? I'll take, so we're not as far with CDM as we, we should be because we were part of the, the smaller agencies, oh, okay. but we built our own dashboards internally to the organization based on needs from the CIO, the CISO operations, and also the executives is to tell them what's going on on the network. So the CDM framework is great, and we took a lot of the things that they were developing and potentially enhanced it for our own mission needs, and when we do get involved with CDM fully, we'll replicate the data and then potentially collapse them. But that is a great framework, the continuous monitoring framework right. is there that we have the input into to say improvements are needed because DHS may not know the exact mission of some of the organization. So we are engaged with them. Okay, Bill? I think the path of CDM offers some of that. I think where we are right now has been primarily around cyber hygiene and really caring for your environment the way that we all need <laughs> to. Um, but, but I think what... Uh, where we're going is having much, much more flexibility beyond what's on our network. So like under a zero trust model, we have the option now to to accept, for example, a personal device connecting to our environment and being able to very surgically restrict the actions that occur over that untrusted connection, whereas before it was sort of, you know, you log in and you're in, uh, and you're restricted by the role that you have, and now we're able to have much more flexibility at those, you know, to make those risk decisions. So it gives us many more tools in our toolbox, is how I view it. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, there's plenty more to talk about. You're listening to the panel discussion Exploring Cybersecurity's Weakest Link Identity Management, sponsored by Duo Security on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Zero Trust Security is getting a lot of buzz, but what does it mean? At Duo Security, Zero Trust means enabling frictionless, secure access to applications for users and devices from anywhere. We call it Zero Trust for the workforce, and we offer it through best-in-class strong authentication and visibility into the security posture of devices. With Duo, you can ensure only the right people and secure devices access your critical applications and data. Duo is modern authentication for the modern federal workforce. Learn more at Duo.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Exploring Cybersecurity's Weakest Link, Identity Management, sponsored by Duo Security on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Bo Hauser, the Chief Information Security Officer at the Small Business Administration, Howard White, the Chief Information Officer at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, Sean Frazier, the, the Advisory Chief Information Security Officer at, for Federal at Duo Security, and Amir DeStory, the Identity Services Branch Manager at the Homeland Security Department. Now, we were at break talking about, the, the, if you will, the convergence, the, the coming together of identity, of, of IT modernization, and, and I asked maybe it was a, maybe a little bit of a silly question, chicken or the egg, it probably has been happened at the same time. Amir, jump in because you are, your viewpoint is, is, is maybe, I don't say solely identity, but that's a really strong position. And then when your CIO comes to you or your somebody comes to you and goes, well, we need to modernize, talk a little bit about the conversions you're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to piggyback off of a couple of things the panel said, uh, starting with the CDM program. So the CDM program and the tool set that it provided for what, what was phase two and is now Defend really gave us an identity stack to be aware of who the users are, what they have access to, and the privileged user access. Uh, now, while we tackled it from a compliance and dashboard perspective, um, as Howard mentioned, we've tried to expand that to actually starting to manage and grant the access as well. So as we've moved into the cloud environment, we're exploring the use of the same technology for can we manage access to the cloud. Now, some of those privileged users, uh, whatever your cloud platform might be, whether they're IAM users and roles, Azure Active Directory accounts and groups, can still be requested, approved, certified, granted, and manage through some of these CDM tools. So we're starting to explore and actually partner uh, with the other half of our DHS counterparts at CISA for implementing some of those CDM use cases for both reporting and actually managing. 
Uh, I also wanted to piggyback off of one of the things that Bo mentioned in terms of the cloud native tools and how they provide you such nice analytics and framework as well, uh, because we really got to make sure to use those to our advantage as well, uh, and not only just centralized, but what does it make sense to use from a cloud native perspective that those platforms provide us out of box, and what does it make sense to kind of centrally manage and track uh, from an identity perspective on-prem. So it's really the convergence of those cloud tools and our existing CDM tools coming together to build that cloud uh, identity access management strategy. And, and Sean, I want you to weigh in here because vendors seem to have gotten the message like you just can't continue to, to build tools on top of tools. I hear that often from cybersecurity vendors is it's enough with the tools. We sell plenty of tools, but use the tools. So it sounds like the cloud service providers have also gotten the same message where they're saying, we do. We provide you a cloud, but then all this other stuff on top of it to help you. Is, is that the message you think has gotten through? I think so. I think that you know none of this stuff is happening in a vacuum, right? It's all kind of converging around the fact that we're we're living in this this accelerated cloud and mobile world. Um, so some of the guidance we talked about earlier on identity, that's all related to this. The TIC 3.0 draft that came out is all about kind of cloud and cloud access. So the you know changing the structure in the way uh, agencies consume cloud is, is is part and parcel to all these things we're talking about. And and I don't talk to an agency in the world that doesn't say, look, we standardize in diversity. We got one of everything, right? <laughs> we got one of every security product that's out there and we, we don't feel m much safer. I think the CDM program is great. Moving CDM under CISA is great. I think, you know, aligning that closer to risk and, and the security aspect of this and having kind of one group responsible for this uh, and, and releasing guidance and releasing updates and releasing patch schedules and all these different things to government agencies is key and important. And again, this is all interrelated. None of this stuff happens in a vacuum. And I think that convergence is it's funny because we used to talk about convergence around physical and cybersecurity and you don't hear as much. Of course, you hear kind of um, the, the, the kind of what, what's the terminology for the, it's, it's the uh, not typical IT cybersecurity, but it's the uh, like, like SCADA systems. Mm -hmm. Um, OT, OT uh, anyways, it doesn't IOT? matter. You're IOT? <laughs> not IOT, don't get me there. But um, is the conversions happening because it, it's kind of, for, your agencies and organizations have been forced to converge because, as you said, it's not just mobility and it's not just the cloud, but it's the user. And it goes back to, I think, something sure. you said. And, and again, it's culture, right? So the users are driving culture for endpoint access um, in ways, you know, if, if we were still sitting in a world where everyone was behind a desk on a desktop or had a laptop they could plug a, plug a PIV card into, we wouldn't be sitting here having these conversations. But we don't live in that world anymore. We live in a completely different world of culture that's forcing these changes in IT. And oh, by the way, no one's budgets are, are growing exponentially to pay for these things. So can you compute better than Amazon? Can you compute better than Google? Can you compute better than Microsoft? Probably not. Can you build endpoint security better than Apple? Probably not. So using off-the-shelf stuff and kind of leveraging that in, inside your agency is almost an inevitability. And, and how are those tools that you're able to leverage from a CIO's perspective must be a nice little benefit? It's a significant benefit. So we don't want to re-engineer or develop our own tools. We want to use the information or the data that comes from the tools, no matter where they are, consume that data to make a risk-based decision and to inform us and the user community of what the risks are that they are taking. But as you stated, is the user community is changing. The, the folks that are coming into the corporation now are younger, uh, and they demand the same level of service and capabilities that they get from, as you stated, Microsoft, Google. And we want to make it as seamless as possible that they don't have to stick a PIP card into the machine if it's not necessary, or they don't have to authenticate three times to get to the application they need. We take the information that's available to us and simplify the operations so that they can get to the data that they need to execute on their mission faster so that they can work better and more efficiently at their core jobs and functions. So you've been around long enough. You remember single sign-on. There's a big push to it. What's the, that's, what, I mean, that's basically what you're talking about now. I am talking about single sign-on. As you know, a lot of organizations claim to be at single sign-on, <laughs> but they are not. Um, the behind the scenes, you're still pushing in the PIV card to the computer and then you log on with a username and password. I would love to demise username and password, so we're looking at a unified architecture where access management becomes our first gate, is if you don't meet our policy of no, no passwords and being able to get through to your application with that certificate that's available, it's not going forward. It's not being authorized on our network. Mir, jump in because uh, with uh, again, we'll go back to your kind of focus area of identity. The single sign-on piece is that is that where we're heading toward in many ways. Yeah, you know, I, I love two things about what Howard said. I think I think the whole notion um, of single sign-on, but in addition, kind of the user experience that, that Howard mentioned. It's it's if you have a, a really difficult user experience, if you're asking them to authenticate over and over and over again, 
and these systems aren't usable, the people aren't going to want to use them and they're not going to work. In essence, there's going to decrease security because people are going to do whatever they can to avoid them. So back to kind of the whole risk-based model, uh, authenticating with a strong credential, be it a certificate, providing single sign-on as much as possible, a seamless process, but knowing when, hey, now they're trying to access something that's a little bit more sensitive, a little bit more secure. This data is, is beyond just your regular user. You might want to re-authenticate them if they haven't authenticated for a certain amount of time, again, with that strong credential. Or back to some of the things uh, that... Sean was mentioning maybe you want to revalidate them uh, based on the device that they used or where they came from. So I completely agree with the single sign-on approach. Uh, couple that with the risk approach to authenticate and re-authenticate only when you need to to, to make it a better uh, seamless user experience. And of course, explain that to the user to say, okay, for 90% of what you do, just it's a single sign-on, but for this other 10%, we're going to ask you more questions or more whatever. We'll need more security around it. And I think this fundamentally changes the philosophy of security, right? So security, and this is really why Duo exists. I mean, it's not like there wasn't any 2FA solution that happened, but we were kind of born on the cloud. We happened to be born around the same time as the iPhone. And we were conscious of the fact that security can either happen to users or with users. And we'd rather it happen with users. So again, the culture of security is ingrained in kind of everything that we do. Um, we're starting to see that at agencies now, too, where they're hiring user experience folks to come in and kind of figure out, okay, what are the workflows? What are users, you know, it was acceptable for users to use. What are they used to in their personal lives that they really appreciate that they want to bring into the enterprise? Well, jump into the discussion here because one of the things that SBA has been going down this path is, as you've been doing modernization, is, is obviously taking advantage of the cloud. You mentioned that earlier. And then creating, working toward that, that easier experience what are you doing to ensure that you're not opening yourselves up to more risk, or how are you making those risk-based decisions? So uh, the other element that's really maturing and making a lot of these things easier are the native cloud services. And so our modernization efforts uh, through those, we realize that uh, you know those are, those services are maturing very rapidly in the cloud. And you know, cybersecurity is about data, right? If you can't see it, you can't protect it. So, how do you aggregate all of that data? How do you make sense of it? Mine the data for the details, you know, for the needles in the haystack. Um, and and we found that you know, if you if you, we were able to make cloud a central part of our cybersecurity program. So what that means is feeding all of that data into the cloud using a big data, unstructured data model, uh, and then using the, the tools and services based on AI, machine learning, all those kind of catchphrases, but they're actually in the cloud, they work. Uh, one example, we feed all of our logs from our MTIP service into our cloud-based uh, log aggregation service, and from there, we can tell you every single website that anybody in our environment visits. We know the reputation of the rep website. We know the last time they were hacked, whether they're compliant with all these industry uh, regulatory standards. Um, all of this detail built into the dashboards, and the only thing we had to do was direct our logs in that direction. So that's really the power that we've realized, and that's why you know we're getting so much value out of a cloud-centric cybersecurity model, and it just extends to any sort of intelligence challenge that, that an organization might have. I think, cloud, I think cloud is key, and I think that you know one thing as a, as a CSP, I appreciate the the fact of how far FedRAMP has come. Having done this pre-FedRAMP with FISMA, which was akin to a root canal or maybe two, it's gotten a lot better. So shout out to Matt and Ashley and team who have really been good partners of ours in this journey. But I think you know Bo's spot on. I think you know if you can leverage off-the-shelf cloud technology and you can leverage their analytics, and one of the hardest parts about the zero trust journey is inventory, just knowing what your assets are, you know, your data assets, your user assets, your actual assets, your endpoints. Um, so if you can leverage stuff that exists in someone else's infrastructure for that, that's key. It's funny because um, Bo had brought up the, the dashboard that you guys use and, and uh, the deputy CIO at, at SBA, Sanjay Gupta, showed me it once and I think it was right around March Madness time and, and I was like, so you know when people are watching? He's like, oh, we know. It's not just the latency and the speed of the network goes down, but we know exactly what, where they're at. I wouldn't say it was right around, but it was a fascinating dashboard. Uh, Howard, you guys also are starting to take advantage of some of those, that, that, that data to make better decisions when it comes to cybersecurity. Uh, is that coming in, again, the, the cloud native apps or is it something you guys are, are looking for from your cloud service providers? So we're looking forward from the cloud service providers. We're actually looking at what SBA is doing, the value they've received from their journey and modeling ourselves off of it. If someone has done it and they're realizing value, why would we want to recreate it? Um, and the vendors are the same. 
if they can provide the same service across many organizations across the federal government, then our risk is reduced because we're all in some way connected. Right. So it reduces the overall risk to our organization. At the same time, we still have our own data center. So we're trying to ensure that the data that we collect, whether at the data center, at the cloud, is somehow married together so that all of the information, we have a holistic view of our infrastructure, who's accessing our data, how is it being used, and have the right controls in place that if something happens, we know who did it, and we can take fast and rapid action to course correct. And I think a lot of agencies are going to live in this hybrid world for quite a while. I mean, Bo, do you guys expect the SBA to get rid of, out, rid of all your data centers yet, or even you guys so, will live so, in the hybrid world? Uh, Maria, our CIO, her priority for next year is legacy, getting rid of legacy. So we still have a big footprint uh, around legacy, and we're, we're driving hard to, to reduce that. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be hybrid for a bit. And, and Sean, when you talk to your, your customers, they live in this hybrid world. That makes identity management even much more important because you're not just, okay, well, everything's in the cloud or, or you, don't, you can't hug your data center. It's that balance. What, yep. what, what kind of, I don't want to call it advice, but what are you seeing from how to find that right balance? So the, the most important thing, and, and, and Bo's organization is doing a great job of this, is, is having a consistent security model across whatever your, your compute environment is. So whether it, be, it has to be kind of flexible enough to be able to deal with on-prem because you're going to have some legacy stuff. Everyone does. Uh, your cloud environment, but your identity system should really be the same identity system. You shouldn't have to reinvent the identity wheel, whether you're going to a cloud, hybrid cloud, or your on-prem you know, infrastructure. One of the challenges we've had, we talked about single sign-on in, in public sector, is that we kind of we hung our hat on single sign-on on PKI. So we did this all based upon PKI and certificate you know, trust and all this different stuff, while the rest of the world moved out on OpenID and SAML and other open technologies. So the government's starting to head down that path, which is awesome, because I'm all a big fan of open standards. Uh, but that's been kind of our challenge with single sign-on. Howard? Yes, I wanted to touch on that. I like the fact that you mentioned that we hung our hats on something that was developed years ago, is that your identity management program has to be a program, and it has to live, and it has to be a live ecosystem, and you have to care and feed for it. It just doesn't happen once, and you use it as the same that you did 10 years ago. And that's something that we need to realize in our communities. We have to care for this core component of our protection mechanisms across the enterprise. I think you just warmed Amir's heart a little bit, <laughs> uh, having been the person who has touched, touched, being the person who has the identity management in his title. And, and let's talk about that. You know, from a programmatic perspective, are you, your office, you are must be involved in all those discussions about IT modernization, but also about cybersecurity, and also about uh, hopefully the mission side. Right? I mean, is, is that is that how you created that identity management program is how we're kind of described? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think from the mission side, like one of the things that we really strive to do is we meet with all of our components and we kind of, we talk to them and say, hey, what are your focuses? What are your pain points? What are your issues? And we kind of, we collectively group together and say, what are the things that we want to tackle as a department, right? From an enterprise perspective, we don't try to just build services to build services. But we talk to the mission teams, to the application teams, and really identify what their issues are. Uh, I also completely agree with, with both Howard uh, and Sean in terms of, um, yes, we, were, we started off with PIV, such a deep focus on PIV, such a deep focus on PKI, but we're trying to evolve again to like, it shouldn't matter what type of credential you use, we should be able to validate it no matter what it is, and match that again to like what type of data you're trying to access. And you know what, if it's not the right credential and it's not the right time, you shouldn't get access. And that's what we're striving to try to, to achieve. I remember the days when we were, GSA was built, building the PKI bridge, you know, the, certifi you know, the, the certified bridge, and then we went to the, 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 a lot of excitement over derived credentials, and that never happened. So I remember the discussion around SAML, too. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a journey, without, to say the least. There's a, there's a new PKI that's coming <laughs> that, that I'm actually happy about, which is WebAuthn. So okay. if you look at the 502 specification, and actually login.gov is a good example of how this can be done well. Um, and that to me, that's kind of PKI done right. It's, it's equivalent to the way TLS works on, on, the, on the plumbing side. So not to pick on our friends at, at login.gov, I use it for the USA Jobs website. Not, it's not user-friendly. They're, get, they're getting there. Well, we hope so. They're getting there. Let's take a quick break. We can come back. We can jump into the, that, that buzzword of zero trust that, that Bo had brought up. Uh, you're listening to the panel discussion, Exploring Cybersecurity's Weakest Link, Identity Management, sponsored by Duo Security on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Zero Trust Security is getting a lot of buzz, but what does it mean? At Duo Security, Zero Trust means enabling frictionless, secure access to applications for users and devices from anywhere. 
We call it zero trust for the workforce, and we offer it through best-in-class strong authentication and visibility into the security posture of devices. With Duo, you can ensure only the right people and secure devices access your critical applications and data. Duo is modern authentication for the modern federal workforce. Learn more at Duo.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, exploring cybersecurity's weakest link, identity management, sponsored by Duo Security on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Sean Frazier, the Advisory Chief Information Security Officer for Federal at Duo Security, Bo Hauser, the Chief Information Security Officer at the Small Business Administration, Howard White, the Chief Information Officer at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and Amir DeStory, Identity Services Branch Manager at the Homeland Security Department. Now, before break, we were talking a little bit about this concept of, of identity management, cybersecurity, it fits into IT modernization, and several times during the discussion, zero trust. It's a big buzzword in the community that came up, but, but there is something there to zero trust. So, Sean, you have, I've seen you on several panels around zero trust, so I'm going to turn to you first to start sure. and give me a sense of, of, let's just talk a little bit, let's define what it is, because I don't want people to be confused that it's some new technology that you have to buy. No, no, no one can sell you zero trust. So, <laughs> so I always say zero trust is, is a lifestyle choice. It's, it's a, a um, process. Um, it is something that you will do to your to your environment. It actually started out uh, as deperimeterization with the uh, Jericho Forum in, in the UK in two, 2004, and then someone coined the term, uh, John Kindervag coined the term zero trust networking in 2010, and then we've lopped the networking off and we just call it zero trust as kind of short short name for zero trust. But zero trust networking is actually more applicable because what it means is you don't necessarily apply trust based upon what network you're on or coming from. So what it means is you validate trust based upon it continuously authenticating the users to access to applications. If they're on the internal network, you don't treat them any differently than you do out, coming from the outside. Um, so you just assume that your internal networks are compromised, your attackers are sitting alongside your internal users, um, they're pretending and trying to be access to your, you know, access to, to things that your internal users will access, so you don't treat users any differently based upon where they are. And we kid that it's a big buzzword, but I see a lot of agencies kind of moving in that direction. And are you, when you talk to customers and agencies, are you, are, there seems to be real excitement for it because of the pieces and parts that have been being put into place over the last you know, five, seven, eight years. Exactly. And I think that, that the, the group in the UK years ago was pressing it because of what they were looking at. They were looking at the fact that organizations were moving to cloud for their, their workload stuff. They're moving to mobile for their workforce access, and their endpoints are all going to be mobile. And they thought, well, how, how do we wrap, wrap a perimeter around that? You can't wrap a perimeter around that. So what you need is you need a different security construct to do that. So the last couple of years, uh, ACT-IAC um, wrote a white paper last year about zero trust. A lot of us got together and kind of talked about it. Again, it's not a technology. There are a lot of players and, and a lot of cooks in that kitchen. We're part of it. A lot of other uh, our vendor partners are part of that. And coming out of that, the CIO Council has been talking about it, and I know there's, this, there's been some work done, uh, stood up at the uh, NIST Cybersecurity Center of Excellence around reference architectures. And again, it's not going to be a one-stop shop. There's not one vendor that can bring zero trust to you. We all have to play a role. And I think that's key because, Bo, you guys at SBA are kind of maybe a little further ahead than most agencies when it comes to zero trust just because of, of the modernization effort. It kind of that's what I mean. The kind of the right. chicken or the egg piece. Yeah, and and like a lot, of, I'll give you an example of what one of the things that we're doing. Uh, <clears throat> like a lot of the federal agencies, we're in Office 365 in the cloud, and so we're able to use those tools to to really you know wade into the zero trust waters a bit. So uh, we had a business requirement to uh, allow broader access to email from non-government equipment, and so we were able to do that by. Uh, creating the personas based on trust, you know, if you're on a trusted device and if you're coming from a trusted network, you get the full experience. If you're not on a trusted network or not on a trusted device, like a personal device, we're able to limit what you can do in email. You can get into your inbox, you can read email, but if you try to download an attachment, that's blocked. If you try to forward an email, we can block that and all of those things. So you have very surgical control around the actions that can occur over these various trust levels. So you're able to have a lot more flexibility, but you know, as you apply this to different use cases, the complexity grows. So you really, really got to have your your uh, governance nailed down in order to, to fully implement it and get the best value out of it because it gets really complex. How do you guys make that decision to say, okay, you can not download, but you can, but you can forward or vice versa? Like, how, how did that decision get made? Because it would seem to me an email, I know is a simple, we all use it, so we all yep. get it, but it would seem to me what's the, what's the danger of, let's say, downloading an email? 
What, right, and, and you know the goal is to keep SBA data under SBA control, right, yeah. generally. The use case that we had helped us determine exactly how we needed to design this because luckily we only had one use case. It was around HR and communicating with employees while on furlough when they're not <coughs> supposed to be using government yeah. equipment. So that was our use case we were working with. And in that use case, we just simply need to read the, the body of the email one of the uh, attributes of it is uh, we decided only to use the, the web access version rather than the Outlook client, just to, again, minimize any data downloading to the device. Okay. I think that's a great point because it goes back to what we talked about earlier about use case, what's the user needs are. Let's understand right. those. Howard, from your perspective in Zero Trust, FDIC has also moved down that path. Uh, talk a little bit about what that means to you and how you guys are starting to look at this concept. So before I got to FDIC, I think they were down a, a a zero trust path on their data segmentation model. So they were very keenly focused on segmenting data based on uh, the user and only certain users could access that data. We've now segmented the networks that the data is on and we're now looking at the entire ecosystem. So we segment the applications, the data, and the users. And this has to be done in a unified manner. And to talk about how do you get to decisions, you do it on risk. What is the risk that I'm willing to tolerate if something was to happen that would be a newsworthy event? And I try to design our systems to ensure that we're protecting information, but also making it continuously easy for the user. I cannot emphasize that fact that no matter if we're doing zero trust, identity management, whatever we're doing, the architecture, our strategy, and our resources need to be focused on that end user, the customer, whether they're internal or external. We have external customers, and we want their experience to be as seamless as it is as when they're accessing their systems at home. We've heard this concept of segmentation before, but let me just put a finer point on it, if you could. So when you say we've segmented the network, we've segmented the data, it means what? So what does it mean? It means that if Howard White is the CIO, I have no reason to be accessing financial information that speaks to the a bank's information or a customer's information. So that information is segmented off based on a role, and only the folks that need access to it have access, and we continuously monitor to ensure that what we designed is functioning as such. And the same thing with networks, and you should not be on this network. CIO is different, but, but generally speaking, if you're in the financial world and you want to go look at HR, you may not be able to need to be on the HR network. Uh, and then, uh, Amir, jump in here as well, because uh, DHS also is, is – is, there's kind of two parts of DHS. You work at the headquarters part with the CIO's office. Where are you guys heading down that Zero Trust, and, and where does identity fit in from your perspective? Sure. Uh, I, I think, first and foremost, Zero Trust has really brought the spotlight on identity. It's kind of made everybody and anybody kind of think about it, be concerned about it, and want more of it. So I think in that sense, it's been great from an identity perspective. Um, so what we're doing at DHS, it's, it's a really a collaborative approach. Uh, what we've done is we've collaborated with kind of us as the implementation shops, our CTO office as uh, kind of what is the future of technology and, and, and what's out there, uh, and our science and technology uh, directorate as kind of the R&D branch, working together to define those zero trust use cases. What do we want to explore? How do we want to tackle it? Uh, and it's, it's kind of beautiful because everything we've talked about for really the last several segments about the device health, what is it a managed device, is it not managed device, is it patched, is it the latest version, what are the users used to authenticate, where do they come from, what time of day, what are they trying to access, and all of those really culminate together in, in this end-to-end um, zero trust. So we, we form this collaborative approach to try to identify these use cases and start tackling them. Uh, one other thing I think is of interest in, in both kind of Howard's point on segmentation uh, as well as Sean's point about kind of the zero trust networking in that last part, uh, I think to me some of that network part and putting them together and that network segmentation is huge uh, and getting away from just kind of pure routing from the network perspective to identity-aware routing. So I've authenticated the person, I've, I've managed the person, I've managed the identity. And what part of the network do I even want to allow them to access versus kind of completely uh, firewall or block, block them off from? From a use case perspective, have you guys, where are you with that? You've developed five of them, you've 100 of them. <laughs> so what we're trying to do is, is rather than boil the ocean, as I mentioned, like you have the device pieces, the authentication pieces, all the way down to the guy has the data and the DRM pieces. So we've also started with some of the kind of cloud-based uh, use cases, 
dealing with how to protect data in the cloud uh, and how to make sure it doesn't kind of go off to different boundaries that it's not supposed to. That's one of the first use cases that we're tackling. And what we're trying to do is map that again to that whole ecosystem of zero trust and say, okay, this meets this piece of the use case and that piece of the use case and try to marry everything across the end to end through multiple different use cases. And I think that's, as, as I think Bo demonstrated, this was a, it's a really good way to kind of put your, get your head around what you're trying to do, what you're, what's the end goal, right? Yep. Stop someone from, in Bo's case, forwarding an email or, or downloading an attachment. You need, you need that kind of elastic connective tissue, um, and it's a kind of a layer seven issue, not a layer three or four issue, right? So it's, it's your, you're setting up that trust uh, connection between that user and that application at that higher level. So that's the micro-segmentation part of zero trust. The thing about zero trust is that we, we kind of know the what. We've been talking about the what for, for the last couple of years. Um, we know the why. The why is we still deal with passwords and other things, and if the, if the, the bar you set for your attackers is to guess a 16-digit string, that's a pretty low bar. Um, what we don't necessarily know is the how. So one of the challenges that, that we see, in the, even in the private sector, where we see fee- people figuring out how do we start on our zero trust journey. So the recommendations is always treat it like you do everything else. Either have a program, if you can codify it in a program, or at least have a group, a zero trust group that oversees this. We might call it a center of excellence, for lack of a better term. You might have usability folks there, because obviously user experience is one of the most important things about this journey. So you have user experience folks, but you have stakeholders from all the different disciplines that come in and figure out, okay, do we start with identity, which by the way is a core tenant of zero trust? Do we start with micro-segmentation, because we've already got a program to do that? But figure out kind of where you can stick your toe in the water. Sean brought up passwords. It's here we are, 2019, and we're still kind of fighting the passwords, uh, you know, awfulness that it is. Uh, Bo, are we closer to getting rid of passwords? Is SBA, are you on the cusp yet? <laughs> it's, it's a stated goal, and I think everybody shares it, but it is so difficult. You know, we all have legacy systems that we're still d- dealing with that just simply don't have the ability to get where we need them to get to. So, uh, again, the key is modernization. And as we're modernizing, we are ensuring that we're not using a password-based authentication form going forward, but there's still a ways to go uh, before we get there, unfortunately. And Howard, do you guys, FDIC, any better with the password challenge? Not any better. I think as long as we have mainframes in the environment, you're going to have passwords. So we have a... Uh, modernization effort in the next three to five years to demise those systems and at that time uh, we'll probably be there but going forward as you stated in our architecture it's the policy is do not design or buy any system that requires you to use a password. <laughs> and Amira how about from your perspective? Yeah same story um, I think the things that we're trying to do to tackle it is, is similar to before I dashboard it so across our entire landscape identify uh, really, it's an application problem, right? The applications, the legacy applications and systems, identify them, kind of call them out, uh, go through modernization, and also implement like procurement policies on anything being bought in the future has to abide by these open standards. And hopefully, over time, uh, we'll get ourselves out. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> I would like to get rid of my password, Sean. I think there, you know, obviously, we still live in a password world. Like you said, 2019, phishing's still a thing. Passwords are still a thing. It's hard to believe. Ten years later, we've been talking about this. But I think, you know, the, the, there's short-term and long-term. So the short-term mitigations are, obviously, use multi-factor authentication, use password managers, figure out a way that you can work within the password construct and, and protect yourself from it. Uh, and then the longer term, as I mentioned earlier, it's open standards like WebAuthn, where hopefully passwords will die a horrible death, where we are using something that is, that is both kind of, again, born on the web, uses strong PKI, strong identity proofing and trusting um, in lieu of passwords. I know uh, Michael Daniel, it's been probably three or four years now when he said, I want to kill the password dead. And it was a great headline, but unfortunately, it never quite came to fruition. Yeah, yeah. This has been a fascinating conversation. We're just about out of time. So before I let you all go, let's just go down the panel one more time and and discuss. We've talked about IT modernization, identity management, zero trust. Where where is this heading? What's the future look like? Howard, start us off. So Amir said something that I, I technically said, it's, it, it's a beautiful thing when things come together. And I'm going to add, it's, it's beautiful and it's going to be a bright future for identity management because we have, what well, we're looking at machine learning, uh, AI, we have blockchain coming up. We have the vendors providing capabilities that meet our needs out, out of the box so we don't have to redesign it. So I think the future looks good because we're focused on this. We're looking at risk and actively managing risk in a continuous environment and focus on the customer. Sean? Uh, I agree. I think I'm very encouraged by all the things we've talked about today. I think the, the, the convergence of 
policy um, to being adaptable to rapidly moving technology shifts that we that we see all the time is key. You know, paying attention to open standards, I'm a big believer in open language, I mean, being having vendors and, and customers and agencies and enterprise being able to talk the same language is, is important, so pay attention to those. And Bo? And uh, so we're in a big data age, we know that, right? And so what I think this is gonna look like in the very near future is a, a very unique profile that includes me, my identity, my behavior, my device, all the characteristics around the devices that I typically use in one consolidated view with a risk score by it. So you're starting to see the, the emergence of that now, and I think we're going to be there in the very near future. And again, big data underneath the hood with AI exposing the data in the way that we need it exposed. All right, and Amir, before you go, I'm going to throw one more thing at you. Uh, you made a comment uh, toward the early part of the segment about Zero Trust has brought kind of the spotlight on identity management. Kind of, It's, it's almost like a... a reimagination of identity and, and are you having conversations outside of like your typical conversations that maybe a year ago you weren't having because of zero trust because people understand what's happening yeah definitely i think identity is pretty much at the, at, the, at the tips of everyone's finger now they want to know how you do it they want to know how they can get it and they want to know how to work with you so they're pulling us in into things like whether it's like network contracts or other things. They pull the identity folks in now and kind of say, hey, can you review this? Can you weigh in on this? Is this kind of good for the future? So they're definitely pulling us in. And then the future looks like what? From and so your the future, um, I, I think piggybacking off what we talked about, more context aware authentication <clears throat> will continue. Uh, more finer grained uh, authorization, really moving towards that attribute or policy based. And I love Bo's comments about AI and really being able to baseline and automate some of the user-based uh, analytics and behavior. Uh, we hear, again, a lot of the buzzwords, but I think where the agencies are heading, where, where industry is heading, is, is true predictive analytics. They're, they're really starting to understand that the certain technologies around, again, AI, machine learning, whatever we want to call them, is going to lead us down, I think, for what someone said at the very beginning, make better decisions. And I think that's the key here. Gentlemen, unfortunately, we are out of time, so let me thank my guests. Bo Hauser is the Chief Information Security Officer at the Small Business Administration. Howard White is the Chief Information Officer at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Amir DeStory is the Identity Services Branch Manager at the Homeland Security Department. And Sean Frazier is the Advisory Chief Information Security Officer for Federal at Duo Security. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the panel discussion exploring cybersecurity's weakest link, identity management, sponsored by Duo Security on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Duo Security. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion exploring cybersecurity's weakest link, identity management, sponsored by Duo Security on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.